I've used the analogy with people before now. If I wanted Kelly to organise dinner and I'm a white person, I'd say, Kelly, we haven't all gotten together for ages. Let's get the girls together. Can you cook something? Big bowl in the middle. So you're not stuck in the kitchen. It's going to be epic. Now, if I'm a white person, I've just given her everything that she needs. But if she's a what person, she's going to want to know how many people and are we doing pasta or are we doing pizza? If she's a how person, she wants to know dietary requirements, what wine, what are you doing for starch and what are you doing for dessert? Because what she needs is more framework through which she can deliver success. And if she's a what if person, she wants all of that and she wants to know what happens if the bowl isn't big enough, what happens if someone turns up with a plus one, what happens if they don't turn up at all, what happens if it's raining, what happens if it's a Tuesday, what if? Mitigation and management, disaster planning. But you can imagine someone asking questions about how big the bowl is to a why person. They don't care about the food. It's about everyone getting together. I've just given you my why. I've told you what, what we're doing. People assume that they are at the center point. They are neutral. Where they're coming from is just normal communication. And everyone else is slightly left field or right field or off center in some way. And actually, we all are. None of us are normal. We're all deliciously, fabulously, uniquely odd in our own way and actually if we can recognize that and we can recognize where someone else is it's about bridging the gap using communication to bring those two together so that you can have a mutually beneficial conversational communication that becomes a win-win for everybody there's a huge ethics piece in this that I've really been challenged on so many times because language mastery is all about persuasion and actually you're doing this to someone and it isn't about that actually what you're doing is clearing the hurdles and clearing all of the baggage out the way so that you can have an authentic conversation I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's that to collaborate either virtually or in person, we have to learn how to bridge our individual and cultural differences. We have to learn how to work as one team regardless of our location. We need to create culturally inclusive environments. One way that culture plays out for all of us is through language. How we communicate, the words, the tone and body language we all use represent our culture. And they can make it hard for people who differ from our culture to understand what we're trying to say. We are and will continue to operate in an increasingly culturally diverse workplace where we have to be able to interact, communicate, build relationships with, and work effectively with people from diverse cultural and ethnic backgrounds. Technology has made workplaces diverse and global. To succeed, you need to be able to understand and appreciate diversity in its many forms, and to effectively engage and communicate with people from different cultures. But how many of us know how to adapt the way we communicate to ensure we're understood? Joining us on today's podcast is Felicity Wingrove. Felicity is a leading expert on the applied psychology of language. Felicity will share specific strategies that you can use to communicate with anyone from anywhere. Have you ever left a meeting unsure of what to do next or felt like your great idea and pitch was simply not understood as if everyone in the room was somehow speaking at cross purposes? 
The term communication is directly related to the Latin noun communis, meaning common or sharing, and to the Latin verb communicare, which means to make something common. So communication is about a shared activity, a common understanding. But so often we don't manage to achieve this as much as we hope to in practice. And it's not all about what we say to each other. It's also about what we don't say. Several studies have found that 70 to 93% of all communication is non-verbal. When messages are mismatched, that is the non-verbal cues don't match what someone's saying, most people will believe the non-verbal message. It's so critical to bring awareness to how we communicate, especially at work. We need to understand what we're really saying and what the people we're communicating with are hearing and proactively work to close any gap between the two if we want to reach that common understanding. The trick is to do this in a way that's authentic to you. Communication agility, which is the ability to adapt how you communicate to meet the different communication styles of your audience, is a critical skill for bridging your differences with others. Here Felicity shares why communication agility starts with becoming aware of how you view the world and communicate within it. I've used the analogy with people before now. If I wanted Kelly to organise dinner and I'm a white person, I'd say, Kelly, we haven't all gotten together for ages. Let's get the girls together. Can you cook something, big bowl in the middle, so you're not stuck in the kitchen? It's going to be epic. Now, if I'm a white person, I've just given her everything that she needs. But if she's a what person, she's going to want to know how many people and are we doing pasta or are we doing pizza? If she's a how person, she wants to know dietary requirements, what wine, what are you doing for starch and what are you doing for dessert? Because what she needs is more framework through which she can deliver success. And if she's a what if person, she wants all of that and she wants to know what happens if the bowl isn't big enough, what happens if someone turns up with a plus one, what happens if they don't turn up at all, what happens if it's raining, what happens if it's a Tuesday, what if? Mitigation and management, disaster planning. But you can imagine someone asking questions about how big the bowl is to a why person. They don't care about the food. It's about everyone getting together. I've just given you my why. I've told you what, what we're doing. We have meta programs that we run. We are subject to several hundred thousand stimuli each and every second. And if we were to process all of those actively and consciously, we would explode. Our head would explode. So they're filtered out. And we actually process between about five and nine of those so what happens to the other several hundred thousand? They're generalized, they're distorted, and they're deleted. And that's done through a system in our brainstem called the reticular activating system. And it's basically the rules through which everything's filtered. And it's the rules that are important to us. What do we care about? I don't know about you, but when I decided to buy a new car, I was like, right, I'm settled. I'm going to go for a GLC. There was a Merc in front of me. There was a Merc behind me. A Merc went round the roundabout. They were everywhere. They'd always been there, but I hadn't seen them before because they weren't important to me. They were filtered out. A friend tells me she's pregnant. Suddenly there's bumps and babies and buggies and booties everywhere I look. Again, they were always there, but they weren't important to me prior to that. So it's just this recognition that actually we run these filters. It goes back to what we were saying. You know, your truth is not the truth. The truth is this beautiful big picture and you're looking at a single facet of it. People assume that they are at the center point. They are neutral. Where they're coming from is just normal communication and everyone else is slightly left field or right field or off center in some way. And actually, we all are. None of us are normal. We're all deliciously, fabulously, uniquely odd in our own way. And actually, if we can recognize that and we can recognize where someone else is, it's about bridging the gap, using communication to bring those two together 
so that you can have a mutually beneficial conversation or communication that becomes a win-win for everybody. There's a huge ethics piece in this that I've really been challenged on so many times because language mastery is all about persuasion and actually you're doing this to someone and it isn't about that. Actually what you're doing is clearing the hurdles and clearing all of the baggage out the way so that you can have an authentic conversation. Communication agility is less about changing the way you speak and more about being able to become aware of other people's communication styles and then adjusting your communication style to reflect this, as Felicity explains. There is an argument that we should all be able to be our absolute authentic selves and walk through life and speak exactly as we damn well want to. And someone else, it's their job to understand us. And if they don't, then quite frankly, sod them. But that's like going to Spain on holiday and ordering your English breakfast in English loudly and speaking slightly more slowly. It's a really arrogant thing to do. Communication is a two-way process. And ultimately, for it to be a win-win we have to make sure that our message lands. It's in our interests for us not to be misunderstood. And actually, if we are understood, we are most in our power. So as women, is it a subjugation asking us to flex? No, it's exactly the same way as we learn leadership skills. That doesn't mean we're, we're any less an empowered woman. It means that we want to be the best leader that we can be. Communication skills are exactly the same. Learning the nuance of language and how you can speak compellingly, but also very deliberately. The challenge that we have, I would invite you to look at communications in a slightly different way. So rather than making yourself the best that you can, enunciating more clearly, you know, putting on your best face or whatever analogy you want to use. Actually, the power of true communication is in being able to spot someone else's filters. So we all go through life with stained glass window sunglasses and each facet and pane is made up of our own personal experience, our socialization, our education, our cultural background, societal influences, even down to our nutrition, how we interpret a message can be positively or negatively impacted by how well hydrated we are and whether we've had a good breakfast. So there are aspects and elements of our own communication style that are going to be very difficult to change. Tone and resonance, that's tricky to change. Your accent, again, these are things that you can choose to adapt if you want to, but you shouldn't have to if they form part of your identity. Where your power comes in being able to recognize the filters that the person you're speaking with is running and being able to present your message to them in a way that they understand the most. And more often than not, that's not to do with accent and it's not to do with resonance. It's to do with things like information density. The majority of us were brought up to believe that we should speak to others how we would wish to be spoken to. And actually, well-meaning as that might be, it's the worst advice because we're all distinctly unique. There are four core information density profiles in the human population. You, a really good shorthand is using one of the training techniques called format. So you've got your why, your what, your how, and your what if people. If I'm briefing you and you're a why person, you want a one-liner. If you're a what person, you want a chunky paragraph. If you're a how person, you want both of those and some bullet points. And if you're a what if person, you want all of that. And ideally, you want an FAQ afterwards with a few click-through links and some white papers just so you can make sure you're prepared. Well, that's great. But if I'm talking to you, regardless of my accent, and you're a what-if person, and I do my usual why, I brief my team, one-liner. I want them to know why we're doing what we're doing, how they do it, what they do is up to them. But I have to recognize if that's not their style, I have to adapt 
and brief them. And it doesn't matter that I am actually reasonably well-spoken. It doesn't matter that I have a particularly good vocabulary. This is my niche. This is the stuff that I'm good at. Actually, what matters is that I'm presenting my message in a way that they get and they feel safe. They feel psychologically safe in my expectation of them and how they can bring success. It's really tough because otherwise you'd be going through life doing your one liner, wondering why the hell people are leaving you looking like a bunny in headlights, looking terrified or why you're a what if person and you're briefing people and you can see their eyes glazing over and they look like they want to end themselves halfway through your briefing. You're starting to rock in the corner and you don't understand why. And it's because you're distinctly different personalities. So I would say there are more important factors than accent. Yes, there are. There's studies were done in the 70s and the 80s that looked at things like perception of accent. And back then, the Scouse accent was considered the least trustworthy. The Brummy accent was considered the most trustworthy. But when they drilled down, it was considered the most trustworthy because they were considered not to be the most intelligent. I mean, there were some really horrible assertions and kind of subtext going on there. There's not much that we can do about that. What we can do is we can impact the messaging that we share and how we face that for the person that we're speaking to. I love this so much. For years, I've really struggled with my accent. It's a bit South African mixed with New Zealand and American slang. Bottom line is, my accent makes it really hard for people to understand me. Or so I thought. To be fair, Kelly's accent is really hard to understand, but communication agility isn't about either of us changing our accents. It's more about learning what our filters are and what the filters are of the people we're trying to communicate with and how we adjust our approach to ensure that we communicate effectively. The core is to recognize your own filters and your own biases and preferences. What's going on for you? Because your truth is not the truth. It's unassailably your truth, but it's not the whole. Then you recognize the other person. They have the same filters. Where are they coming from? What is actually impacting their ability to see or hear or feel the message that you're sharing? And then you can adjust, adjust as best fits. I think of the message as a diamond that sits in the middle of the conversation. You're not faking anything. All you're doing is pivoting that diamond. So the face of it that's most appropriate to the person you're communicating with is presented to them. You're making it as easy as you can. And why would you not want to do that? We have so many different linguistic preferences. So when we talk about speaking a different language, we have sensory preferences. So the most basic sense, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. And we'll see a visual leader sketching stuff out on a whiteboard and inviting their team to come up and do the same. If you're not a visual person, that's like asking someone to come up and write you know, hieroglyphics. It's nigh on impossible. If you're a kinesthetic person, you want to sit and talk about how it feels. You want to talk about you know, something that's much more kind of practical and tangible. I see it a lot with leaders where they will expect their team to respond in their personal preference, their VAC language preference, their visual, auditory, kinesthetic, their information density preference. There are wider preferences too. They expect them to be a little identicates. And the problem that we have is that when leadership is ostensibly white middle-class male, the likelihood is that they are going to unconsciously prefer people who communicate like them, who may also be white middle-class and male. 
And what we need to do is make leaders aware of their biases, that their truth is not the truth, so that they can start to recognize and celebrate diversity in all its forms in communication and diversity in preferences. I deliberately built my team to have real varied preferences across all of the sensory and kind of density type paths. And it makes a really strong team, which is great because actually everybody needs that bit of discipline of kind of every now and then you, you get into your groove, don't you? And you kind of you, you fall back into I'm going to communicate how I want to be communicated. And you need people to be calling you and saying, I don't get that. That's not my, my way of doing things. With the COVID-19 pandemic, teams have become more geographically dispersed, more so as teams are working more and more virtually. I don't know about you, but I could happily never look at my own face on screen ever again after the last 18 months. Having a screen of faces, including our own, staring up at us close for long periods can be off-putting and create fatigue, headaches and poor engagement. On video calls, people feel like they have to make more of a physical and emotional effort to communicate their interest in what's being said, with a lot of head nods and mm-hmms. But without a lot of the usual non-verbal cues, the intense focus on the person's face on the screen with sustained eye contact is exhausting. Here, Felicity shares how to communicate effectively in a virtual world. I think Zoom is really powerful, let's face it. It's great to be able to see the physiology, someone's physiology, but we're only getting a small snapshot of sort of head and shoulders. What we can't do, we can't pick up those microscopic cues, the kind of energetic things that you would when someone's in a room. But actually, it's a lot easier when you're on Zoom than it is when you're just on the telephone and you've only got vocal variety and pitch and tone and resonance and easier still than when you're on email and you've only got the words to read into. So I think it's about going back to those really dry words about being very deliberate and focusing in as you are on Zoom, focusing in on signs of connection or disconnection. You can see if someone is nodding, you can see if someone's meeting your eye, you can see if someone's facial expression is looking confused or if they're looking disengaged. So one of the things I would say, if you're dealing with a, a large group of people, and I will give a talk to you know several hundred people, you can't personalize it for every single person in the audience but what you can do is what marketeers do really well you can cycle through those preferences so if you think about a good web page you're going to start with a really compelling headline you're then going to have a chunky paragraph of copy you're then going to have some bullet points of detail and then you're going to have some click through somewhere else or some downloadable guides or something with a bit more detail if you think of that kind of running order for most communication, actually, that works beautifully. Start with the big picture and work your way down. The big picture people will have their needs met. They'll be psychologically stroked. They can kind of phase out while you're going into more detail for the rest of the team, but everybody will get what they need. Ditto things like the visual auditory and kinesthetic language. You can cycle through those so that everybody gets some references that work for them. And I would certainly say, be aware of the kind of societal, cultural mix of the people in the room. There are certain words that will be particularly triggering and the majority of us will be aware of that. You know, avoid anything that could have significant negative semantic density for people in the room based on kind of core demographic details, I guess. Better to tread a safer path. And again, if you think that the, that the whole mission is that your message is heard and understood as you intend, it's not just about not offending people, it's about being really understood and making that communication a complete win-win. 
I hope you all enjoyed today's episode and that it's given you insight into how you communicate and the different ways you can adjust your approach to reflect the different needs that different people have. As so many of us are working from home or in a hybrid setup, I wanted to share some strategies that you can use to communicate in an inclusive way on video calls. In an article for TED.com, Dolly Chug shared these three strategies you can use. First, read the room. Many platforms offer you a way to take the pulse of the room. Break up groupthink with a poll, which can be anonymous or not. This allows you to read the room and allows participants to take less popular stands without having to verbally navigate through those offering the majority opinion. Sharing the result of a poll can shift the group norm in an instant by revealing a previously invisible perspective. Second, elicit more ideas at once. In a virtual meeting, you can bring out many thoughts simultaneously by asking a question to which people can respond in the chat function. Then the facilitator can call on people to discuss. And third, make recordings and transcripts available. Where appropriate for the particular meeting, consider recording as a way to support those who would benefit from listening at another time or having the option to pause. For example, people with pandemic parenting or caregiving responsibilities may need to multitask during the meeting. And Michelle, finally, for what it's worth, I love your accent. Thank you for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter, and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.